All right, so the series that we have been talking about this weekend at D-Now is rain, all right? Not like raining outside. We're talking about rain as in Jesus Christ reigns on high. The problem is, is um, my grandma, all right, I was raised by my grandparents, um, was eventually adopted by my grandparents in the fifth grade, but mama, she always told me that I was a special boy, all right? Mama told me how great I was time and time again. You tell me something enough times, I'm going to start believing it, right? Okay, she also called me her baby darling buddy boy, all right? Okay, um, was absolutely loved by my grandparents, okay? And then my teachers at school told me I was smart and that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And then I came to church and I grew up in a, a small country church, Inola, Oklahoma. Okay, if, if you blink, you pass Inola, all right? There are more cows and hayfields than people in my hometown, all right? But I grew up in a small-time country church. It was a great church, and, and they taught the Bible well. The problem was, the same time that everybody around me is telling me how great I am, the church is just talking about how good Jesus is. And so people like me, generations that grew up like I did, grew up with this idea that I'm great, I'm something special, and Jesus is good. Jesus should do what I want him to do. And it becomes a little Jesus, I'll take him out of my pocket when I want him to do something for me. That Jesus Christ is a Santa Claus. Or that Jesus Christ is uh, an EMT, someone said earlier. Jesus Christ is a grandpa figure. Jesus Christ didn't reign in my life as king for a long time. And that's what your students learned this weekend is that Jesus Christ is the reigning king and therefore deserves to be the king of your life, to be treated as the king of your life and no less. He will not settle for less. So our session one, we talked about power, that Jesus Christ, we talked about Mark chapter four and five, Jesus coming in and calming the sea. The, the disciples are freaking out, and he says, um, why are you worried? Seriously? Um, peace, be still. And immediately, the winds and the waves had no choice but to obey him, and they were silent. They were still. He has power over our environment. And then we talked about how um, Jesus Christ healed the man that was filled with the demon named Legion because there were many inside the man. And the spiritual struggle that waged in this man and that whenever Jesus cast out the demons and the pigs and they flung themselves over the uh, cliff into the ocean and drowned and then the people saw uh, what was going on. They came up and saw this demon-possessed man that was breaking chains and shackles and couldn't be captured. They see this man sitting down. He's wearing clothes for once in his life. He's talking in his right mind. He's not going crazy. And scripture says that they were terrified because of the power that Jesus Christ exhibited. And Jesus goes into the city. And then this woman who has had a blood disease for, for 12 years, for a long, long time, she comes up and she touches Jesus' robe after a guy named uh, Jairus comes up and he asks Jesus to save his daughter because his daughter is dying. Jesus is on the way to save his, this man's daughter and this woman touches his robe and, and, and this woman is healed. But in the time that this all takes place, the servants come up and say, um, you know, hey, Jairus, your, your daughter has died. And Jesus says, don't 
worry. Just have faith. And then Jesus walks in to the scene of death and raises the little girl. Jesus Christ has power over our environment. He has power over our, our spiritual warfare that goes on in and around us, over sin. He has, he has power over our infirmities, our sickness, our physical bodies. And he has power over life and death. Amen? Amen. He is the victor, not a vassal in our lives. He's not someone who just, we tell him what to do, and because he's paying rent by living inside of us, he has to do what we say. That's not how this works, people. We talked about how he has storms over everything, has power over all the storms in our life, and so how you view Jesus matters. Session one, how you view Jesus matters. He either reigns in your life as king or he doesn't. Now, let me see if I can figure out how to do this here. Nope, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Nope. Nope. There we go. Hey, there we go. I'll let you play with that. I figured it out. Oh, you had to turn it on first. I'm proud to be an Oki front. Well, okay. Session two, hope. That wasn't embarrassing at all. All right. Session two, hope. Because of the power of Jesus Christ, we have hope. Hey, let me say that again because I don't think you got as excited about that as you should. Because of the power of Jesus Christ over all the storms in your life, no matter what you are facing, you, church, have hope. His power gives hope. It is our only hope. Our only hope is in Christ, not in yourselves. We, we ask the students, hey, uh, you know what? We're just going to do this with everybody. I want y'all to pay attention to this too. Anybody ever try to fix something and you screwed it up? Raise your hand for me, please. Okay, hold up, hold up. Don't put them down yet. Don't put them down, you cheaters. Have, have you ever tried to fix what you broke and you made it worse? And if your hand's not up, you're lying. Okay, you can put your hands down. <laughs> Our only hope of salvation is in the power of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he did not die on a cross for you to be comfortable where you're at. Oh, it got real quiet. He did not die on a cross for you to be just okay with the level of knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ that you have. With the relationship, the relational closeness that you have. With the amount of people that you have led to the Lord. I think I'm okay. I'm just going to stay put where I'm at. Mm -mm. Jesus Christ died on a cross, and we are now therefore conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus Christ, we have hope because of what he's done, and therefore we are now conquerors. We can't be complacent. We can't just stay comfortable. Because our hope is secured and steadfast, Hebrews 6.19 says, through Christ. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, strong and secure, because Jesus Christ is now our high priest. 
And then, I got it to work. Because of the power of Jesus Christ, we have hope. That hope causes an internal change in us. So this is what we talked about yesterday afternoon. That hope should cause an internal change in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about you just said a prayer that followed an acronym of ABC, that is good, right? That's an easy way for us to explain it. But a prayer can't be all that is in our lives. There has to be an internal change. You have to stop reigning as king of your own life and submit your life to the lordship, the absolute sovereign reign of the one whose power is both effortless and limitless in your life. Hey, you can get excited. You can clap, all right? I'm not going to, like, strike you dead. You can get excited. Guys, you have to have an internal change. And if you are the same as you were today as before you said a prayer, then I'm going to challenge you and say, I don't know that that was real in your life. Because when you come in contact with the power of Jesus Christ and you experience the hope of salvation that he gives you, you cannot go away the same. That's why Paul says, I count it all as loss. Compared to the Underline this, if you've, if you've got that there in uh, Philippians 3, you want to flip to that real quick. Underline, he says, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, I count everything as rubbish, as garbage, as trash. And then I, Paul just kind of has like this little braggadocious moment. He's like, hey, it's not like I'm throwing away 50 cents here, okay? I am the epitome of what you want in a religious person. What you want your spiritual life to look like is me. I have done everything perfectly. And if you want to pull up anything, you are going to find me blameless. But that means nothing compared to what Christ does. You see, Paul will go on in his letters to basically tell us that there is absolutely no room for weak-kneed Christianity. And I'm not talking about just standing up in some political system. I'm not talking about standing up for for what you know is to be a wrong. Anybody with two licks of sense can stand up and say when something's wrong. I'm talking about you as a believer standing firm in the truth of what is right. When the rest of the world says it's wrong. Because of the power of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have, there is no room for we need Christianity. You are, you are either all in or, or you're not there at all. It's all or nothing. There is, there is either a reason for you to spend time in God's word, not just to check it off of a list and say you did it for the day, but because you want to know God through his word. You want to know how I got to know my wife after my smooth talking, right, students, right? I spent time talking to her. You want to know the best ways that you can hear God speak to you? You spend time in his word. Not to check it off a list and say, I talked to him today, but because you want to know him. Or you don't. You either pray because you want to know him or you don't. You either are willing to lose everything for the cross of Jesus Christ or you are refusing to risk anything. 
So because of the power of Jesus Christ, we have hope, which leads to an internal change. That internal change should have an external impact. And this is where we're going to camp out today. So if you would please turn to Acts chapter 19, verse 17 through 20. This guy's been talking for 10 minutes. He hasn't even started yet. Don't worry. I'm hungry too, all right? Acts chapter 19, verse 17 through 20. This is one of my favorite, favorite passages of Scripture. Because it's a really cool story that leads up to it. You ever heard the sons of Sceva before? This is the uh, first part of this chapter that leads up to what we're about to say. So let me give you a little background, all right? Um, Paul comes in and is doing all kinds of amazing miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And lives are being radically changed. And the high priest of this area, last name Sceva, not Sceva, Sceva, has seven sons that come up and they're like, we want a piece of this power. And so they go up to this demon-possessed man. And they basically say, in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of Paul that he serves, we command you, demon, to come out. And the demon speaks out back to them and says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I've heard of. Who in the world are you? You ever had that moment where you thought you were somebody and they're like, oh yeah, I know that. Who are you again? <laughs> you feel about this big? It gets worse for these dudes. The man who is demon possessed, then scripture says, leaps on them and whoops them. That's the Jerry version. He beats the fire out of them. He literally beats them out of their clothes. Scripture says these men run away naked and bloodied. All right. Now, I didn't get into a whole lot of fights when I was a kid, but there's kind of a general rule. If you go into the fight wearing clothes and you leave with none on, something went wrong. You probably didn't win that fight. And the people see this, and this is where we pick up in verse 17. It says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and founded that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Okay, I want you to underline a few things if you are okay with doing that. I want you to underline in verse 17 where it says, all the residents. And then underline both Jews and Greeks. Now, if I told you and said, all the people in this room, and then I underscored it and I said, both young and old. Or if I said, you know, I, I broke it down into other things. There, there's a reason why he does this little breakdown. It's because he's saying all of them, but he didn't want one section of those people to think it meant just them. When he says all of them, he means all of them. And Jews and Greeks, there's a big difference between Jewish people and the Greeks at this time. Big difference. 
all the people here, they came to know and fear fell upon them all. They see the power of God in this moment. Because Paul has been exercising demons, his handkerchief has been healing people, like all kinds of cool stuff has been going on. But you see, here's the thing. Whenever there's an internal change in us, and it begins to have an external impact, some people could take it the wrong way. Some people could read it the wrong way. And so the first thing I want you to understand this, uh, understand is this, that Christ's reign challenges. Christ's reign challenges. You see, these people, they had the wrong impression of what Paul was doing. They had the wrong impression of the power that was going on. They weren't really getting it. These sons of Sceva thought they could harness this power. They thought they could keep Jesus in a little pocket and pull him out and say a name whenever they wanted to. When you begin to fully understand the power of Christ that gives hope, that changes people internally, and there begins to be this external impact in the community around us, is that when you begin to come in contact with this, Christ's reign in your life will challenge misconceptions that people have of the power of Christ, not only in the world, but in you. Okay, um, let me tell you a little story. My, I told you I was raised by my grandparents. And uh, my dad, we had this uh, 1990, I say dad, it's papa. It's, when I say, if I say dad, I mean my grandpa and I mean papa, okay? So papa uh, had a 1994 Chevy pickup. And uh, we bought this thing brand new and we were super excited because this was the first vehicle uh, that he had that, that had a, uh, a cassette tape in it. It's a little... Thing about this big and it has two cert. <laughs> okay. And it had, he had the, the greatest hits, greatest classic country hits. And he wore that tape out, let me tell you. One of his favorite songs was Stand By Your Man. And so, fast forward, and I'm, I'm talking to my wife, and that some comes on. And I am just like, man, I love Patsy Cline. Okay, some of you get it, all right? I love Patsy Cline. Now understand, I listened to this tape over and over and over and over and over. You get it? Okay? He wore out the tape and wore out my eardrums. Listen to that. I love classic country music, but I know every one of those songs because they've been ingrained in me. Because anytime we were in that truck, guess what was playing? And so I was 100% confident, like no hesitation whatsoever. And I just said, man, I, am, man, I just, I love Patsy Cline. And my wife and her grace and wisdom and love and sass says, That's not, that is not Patsy Cline. You are wrong. And so we had this conversation back and forth. I'm like, no, I'm right. Okay. So then, oh, Google helps out. Mm -mm. It's, it was Tammy Wynette. Yeah, Google it. It's Tammy Wynette. She challenged my understanding. And because 
she challenged my understanding. I had a clear picture of what the truth was. Do not be upset when people begin to kind of, there begins to be this, this little bit of, of um, oh, words are hard, Jerry. Come on, use them. There begins to be this conflict. There we go. This conflict in your life because the reign of Jesus Christ in your life begins to challenge what people understand as truth around you. Because whenever they are, they are uh, opened to the truth, whenever you living in the power and the hope and the change of Jesus Christ interact with somebody and they see the truth of the power of who Jesus is in you, they begin to have a clear picture of what the truth is. And we cannot back down from that as a church. Amen? We cannot back down from that. You see, because it challenges my incorrect notions about Jesus. You know, it challenges my incorrect notions about, about his power over the storms in my life. It challenges my ability to love people in the hard times, to enter into the spaces that I'm not comfortable with. Okay? One of the things that a pastor does when someone's sick and is in the hospital, do you expect your pastor to stay at home? Most people think that the pastor's going to come and visit them. And so part of my job is to go and visit people in the hospital. I don't like hospitals, y'all. But because of the reign of Christ in my life, I am challenged to go and love people the way Jesus Christ loved them. I don't like hospitals. That doesn't matter. I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. What the world says my worth is, the reign of Christ challenges that. Listen to me well. The reign of Christ in your life should challenge what the world says your worth is. Okay, I'm saying everyone young and old in this room, the reign of Christ in your life should challenge any kind of preconceived notions about what you're supposed to be doing or what you're supposed to look like or what you're supposed to say at any age or time. That's why Paul very specifically to Timothy says, do not let anyone look down on you because of your age, but set the example. Do not let anyone think, don't let the world set who you are. Let the reign of Christ living in you because of the power and the hope and the change that exists in you. Let that challenge anything the world says about you. You matter because Jesus Christ died on a cross to save you despite all the filth that exists. He knows about it. Do, do we get this concept? I, I think we forget sometimes that there's, there's this idea that, that Jesus Christ was like God's second plan. That's, that's not how this works, right? That's not how any of this works. Jesus Christ was plan A from the beginning. That means that from the foundations of the world, when he says, I knew you, he knows every aspect of your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And despite knowing that your sin was going to cost him his son, he still created you because he loves you and he has a purpose for you and a plan that we can't even begin to possibly comprehend. 
That is the power and the majesty of the reigning Lord of who should be Lord of your life. Not some guy that goes with plan B, but the guy that says, I know what it's going to cost me, and yet I love you to still do it. Amen? Not only does Christ's reign in our lives challenge us, it changes us. There it goes. It changes us. Internal change. Sinner becomes saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. The old is dead and gone, and the new has come. If you are surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, you are not that same person. You have been created as a new creation. There's no more of that mess in your life. It was gone on the cross. I think sometimes it's really easy for us to forget that very simple yet profound truth. You want to know how I know? It's because we still try to fix all of our mess-ups. I'm about to get in trouble. Okay, how many of you walked into church this morning and somebody said, how are you? And you said, some form of, I'm fine, good, okay, it's all right. When in reality, that's anything but the truth. Paul begged God to remove the thorn in his life. And he prays, and he begs, and he begs, and and he writes down God's response which is this, no. <laughs> I just love how blunt God is. No. Why? Because my grace is su- sufficient for you, Paul. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And when Paul understands that truth, his response is, so I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness because it is the power of Christ. When we remember that the power of Christ changes us, that we are a new creation, we do not have to wear some porcelain mask smile when we walk into church and pretend like everything is okay. Because the power of Christ is made known to the world around you through your imperfections. Because seeing how messed up you are and that God still loves you, it's the very hope that they need. That because as messed up as they are, they can see that there's someone who is willing to love them. Hey, it's easy to be nice to somebody that's nice to you, right? It's a whole different ball game when we see that there is an infinite, powerful God that loves us even when we are wicked and deceitful above all else. There is hope. You tell me this world around us doesn't need a little more hope in it? 
You want to know why one of the uh, highest rates, highest rising um, causes of death among young people ages 8 to uh, 24 is suicide? Because they feel like there's no hope. Suicide, the number two leading cause of death among those age groups, according to the CDC. You see the change in this scripture? It says in verse 19, And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them inside of all. The very thing that they used, their lives were described by these things that went in complete opposition to who was now the Lord of their life. They took those things and burned them in front of the entire community. Jesus Christ changed their life and it was visible to the people around them. You tracking with me? Everyone in this city now sees that these people who have been radically changed by the master of the universe are serious about what they say they believe, about what Jesus Christ did in them. They are challenged by the truth that they are now seeing, and they see the change that this truth now has, and they cannot help but see and know that this is real. Do the people around you, church, Know that the power of the one true living God that resides in you is real because of the way you live your life. Because of the change that has happened in you. Because there is something different about you than what they encounter when they see the rest of the world. And if there's not, something's wrong. There it goes. Not only does Christ's reign in our lives challenge what we perceive as truth, Christ's reign in our lives changes us, but Christ's reign in our lives compels us. Christ's reign in our lives compel us. You see, it says that uh, in verse 19 that they burned the books, and it says, and they counted the value and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. In ancient Israel, 50,000 pieces of silver. Imagine what that is today. I mean, I would probably have to take off my shoes and socks to count that high. Remember when Paul says, I count it all as loss because of the reign of Christ in my life. I am compelled to walk away from anything that is not him and chase after him with everything I have. Because I've experienced the power of Christ over everything in my life, it has given me hope for salvation and knowing what is to come, that I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to worry because I have an anchor for my soul. 
hope in Christ. It has caused a change in me, and I can see that. And it is, in ha- it is having an impact in the world around me. I am compelled to live this change. My wife has decided she's going to be a vegan. Which means I can't eat chicken, y'all. Or spaghetti. Or eggs. Or bacon. Now she has graciously relented and be like, you don't have to do it with me. But you still kind of feel that judgment, right? Because she's like losing all the weight while I'm eating like a whole package of bacon to myself. Well, it's going to go bad. I got to eat it. It's had an impact in our lives. But you want to know how I can tell that, that, she, that, that, that this, she can feel a change? In, in, because the way she's eating has changed. It's having an effect on her internally. She's, she's losing weight. She looks great. And she, she's, she's experiencing a whole new different way of just like living because she feels better. It's having an impact in our lives. Let me tell you something. That's, that's not something that's just going to go away. You see, some people like get on diets and they're like, all right, I'm cutting out carbs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. One day that was the worst, right? I mean, I decided I was going to go down to like drinking one can of Coke a day. All right. I mean, I was drinking like, I don't know, like a, like a 12 pack a week, probably more, like maybe like every two days, if we're honest. And so I decided I'm going to cut down to one a day. Yeah, that didn't last very long, as you can tell, all right? But no, whenever you experience the change, you are compelled to continue living that change, and and it impacts your environment. The power of Christ was exemplified in the greatest act of love the world has ever known. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay his life down for his friends. The greatest act of love this world has ever known should change you internally and should compel you to have an impact in the world around you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. You can't do it on your own. Apart from him, there is no hope. Instead of an internal change for the good, you have an internal struggle. And with an internal struggle with no hope, There becomes depression and anxiety and loss. Do you want to be a community of believers who are having an impact in the world around them? You want to be a church that has uh, abilities to change the community in which you live? You want to have an impact in the lives of young people in action and not just words only? You want to have an impact in the family that you have? You want to have an impact in the workplace that you have? You have to allow the changes that Jesus Christ has done in your life to exist externally so the people 
people around you can experience the power of Jesus Christ living in you. If you are not compelled to show the people around you that Jesus Christ loves them as much as he loves you in your brokenness, in your hurt, in your struggle, in your frustrations, in your finances, in your families, in your relationships, in your jobs, and in your attitudes, if you are not willing to do that, can you truly call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ? Because we know that Christ reigning in our lives should compel us. You look at Peter. He's terrified when they arrest Jesus. Denies him. Tells Jesus, I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, okay. Three times, Peter. Peter denies him three times. The disciples run scared. That's not the same Peter you see in Acts. Because the power of the resurrection changes lives. The power of the resurrection, when, when Peter is restored by Jesus, he says, feed my sheep, Peter. And Peter goes and begins to share the gospel. And then he stands before the Sadducees, and they're like, dude, you got to stop. You are making all kinds of commotion. We do not like what you're doing. They threaten him with death, threaten him with imprisonment. And he stands firm this time, and he says, it doesn't matter what you say. you got to discuss that amongst yourselves. I will stand on what Jesus Christ says is the right thing to do. The only way that a man who was terrified is now compelled to stand before people who crucified Jesus is because of the power of Jesus. So maybe one of the reasons, though, that we struggle with this impact of an external world is because we forget things like Matthew 4.19. Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you follow Jesus, he promises to make you a fisher of men. You don't have a choice. Get over it. You are to be a disciple maker that reproduces disciple makers. So let me ask you this. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. Three quick questions. Number one, how have you grown relationally to God in the Word since the last time that you came to church? How have you grown in God's Word? Not checking it off a box, but relationally, how have you grown? What needs to change in your life for you to look more like Jesus? And then who is the Spirit leading you to invest in? Not just come up and be like, I would like for you to come to church with me Got that over with. If they show up, that's out of my hands. No, investing in. It takes skin in the game. Taking out of what you have and investing it in someone else. Knowing that the return probably isn't going to come back to you. It's going to be invested down the line. Are you discipling anybody? Are you, I mean, all you have to do is just spend time relationally with somebody. Love them. Let them see you walk through life. Invite them to be a part of your journey. One of the greatest things I yearned for my entire life, and I didn't get it until I was 30 years old, was an older man to walk through and show me how to be a, a godly husband in the home. 
to show me how to love my kids and raise my kids and teach them spiritually. I mean, I had my, my papa as an example, and he did the best that he could, but I needed, I needed something more in my life. I needed an active process walking through this. You don't have to have everything in this thing memorized. You just have to have life experiences and be able to explain how God has worked in your life. Help them study the word. Help them pray. Invest in someone else. Be a disciple maker. I think sometimes we struggle with that because that 2 Corinthians verse that you know, the, dead, the, the old is gone and dead, but the, the new has come. We absolutely love that as believers, right? We love that we have been saved from our screw-ups because we know how bad they are. We love that. How in the world can we be in love with that concept, with that biblical truth on this side of salvation? How can we be absolutely in love with that idea on this side of salvation and yet deny it to the people who are on this side? Did you catch that? Because counting it all as loss doesn't just mean I'm willing to give up my business. I'm willing to give up the big things. It also means your own personal prejudices, your personal feelings, your own desires, your preferences, and and what you want to happen in the little things. Well, I don't want to share Jesus with that person because there ain't no way God's going to save them. God saved you. How in the world are you going to stand there and say that God can't save them when he saved you? Oh, but, but preacher, you don't know. Oh, hush. I know myself and that's all that matters. How dare we stand on this side of salvation and love that verse and not be willing to extend it to other people? on the other side of salvation. We have to get to a point where we look at every interaction with people through the lenses of their salvation instead of the lenses of their attitude. So what happens to this church at Ephesus? I mean, it goes on. There's a, a lot of really cool stories that go on in, in Acts. You see a lot of really cool things happen. But if you look in Revelation, last thing we hear from the church of, of Ephesus, there's a charge against them. Hey, Ephesus, you do a lot of things really, really well. You stand up against false teaching. You hold the sound doctrine. You do a lot of things well. I have this charge against you. You have forgotten your first love. Oh, church, I just, I just met you today. We cannot be a church. Little C Church here at Believers and Big C Church, the, the body of believers across the world. We cannot be a church that forgets the power of Christ that provides hope that changes us internally and that has an impact in the world around us. We cannot forget our first love because when we do, we we become just as hateful and jaded as the world around us. 
No one wants to get up on Sunday morning and come to a place where people are just as mean to them and ignore them just as much as they do at work. Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross for us to be a country club. He didn't die on a cross for us to be a social gathering place. He didn't die on a cross for us to be comfortable. He died on a cross to change the world. Died on a cross to save you and I from our sin because of the great love in which he loved us. So as the musicians are going to come up and play a song of invitation, this, this time is literally an invitation to you as a church to respond to God's Word. In whatever form or fashion that may be. So I just want you to close your eyes for a second. This invitation is not just for people who need to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time. This is an invitation to you as a church to come to the altar up here and kneel before the one who should reign on high as the Lord of majesty in your life and surrender to him anything and everything that you are holding as more valuable than him. It is an opportunity for you to express to him the burden or the, the conflict that is raging within you. It is an opportunity for you to quit fixing the things that you broke. It is a place and a time for you in the depth of your misery, in the depth of your despair, to see an opportunity of hope and cry out as the disciples did in the bottom of the boat and say, Jesus, we're going to die. I can't handle this on my own. Help us. And it's an opportunity for you if you are in the sound of my voice. And you know that you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you have not experienced his power or the hope or the change. It's an opportunity for you to come and talk to someone up here about that. They're not going to try and talk you into something that you don't understand. And they're not going to sell you a bill of goods. What they're going to do is tell you what Jesus has done for them and answer any questions that you might have. Because you see, Jesus asked his disciples, who does the world say that I am? They said, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a teacher. Some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah. He says, okay. And then he asks what I think is the most important question any of us will ever have to answer in our lives. It's when Jesus looks at us and says, who do you say I am?
So Pastor Tim's going to come and stand up here at the front, and I'm going to pray. And whenever I say amen, I'm going to invite you to come and pray at the altars, pray in your chairs, pray with uh, someone next to you. Respond to God's word. And if today you need salvation, don't hesitate. Father, you are beautiful and merciful beyond anything we could ever imagine. God, forgive us where we place our own desires and our own wants and our own um, thoughts and plans above your ways and your plans where we try to reign as king when, Lord, you in your infinite beauty and majesty should reign on high in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would bolster the people within the sound of, of my voice that do not have a relationship with you. Both of them give them the courage to step out and make a decision to follow you, to surrender your life. God, let us be disciple makers. Show us how to do that. Just keen our hearts to the people that you are wanting us to invest in. Lord, we love you and we trust you. Amen.